episode of Fermented Adventure is brought to you by Fermented Adventure. Dawn, we have a new shirt design. We sure do. Dawn, what's our new shirt design? I have mixed drinks about feelings. Now, I have mixed drinks about feelings. How do people find I have mixed drinks about feelings? They go on our website at fermentedadventure.com. They can click on the apparel tab and it'll take them right to our merchandise. So click on the apparel tab. They'll find our brand new shirt design and they'll find other shirt designs as well. Other shirt designs as well. We have tanks, tees, hoodies, glasses, a bunch of different things. And we can still find tequila or cerveza made me do it as well, right? You can find that there as well. And if you want to be fashionable through the rest of the summer, we also have some podcast shirts for people to wear and enjoy going around and saying, hey, you listen to the Fermented Adventure podcast too? Yes. And don't forget our May Contain Whiskey shirt too. So go to FermentedAdventure.com, click on the apparel tab, buy the merchandise. Cheers! Ladies and gentlemen, craft spirit enthusiasts, and those interested in the intoxicating world of craft distilleries, cideries, meaderies, wineries, and the occasional foray into breweries. It's Rich Shane, and welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast, where we bring you the fascinating people that are making the mash, fermenting, distilling, bottling, pouring, and delivering to you some of the finest libations in the world. Before we get started, here are a few housekeeping items. Thank you for bringing the podcast into wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We truly are grateful that you've chosen to listen and make us part of your day. It would mean the world to us if you left a five-star review. This helps us climb in the rankings and it makes it easier for others to find us. Don't hesitate to leave us your comments as well. If the podcast didn't meet your expectations, tell us why. We're always striving to improve. You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure at gmail.com. All right, FA Nation, let's meet our guest. She's Absinthea Vermoot. I'm Rich Shane. Dawn Ranieri's here. And this is Fermented Adventure, the podcast. Absinthea, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Rich. Well, I'm excited. We met at BCB. We met at Bar Convent Brooklyn. And it's a huge affair. It's There's so much to see and do. And we come across this absinthe. The way you had it decorated, the, your personality, it was almost like that ray of sunshine comes through the clouds and hits you. I'm like, I've got to go. I've got to go see what's going on here. So thank you. What I want to talk about and where I want to get started with is how did Absinthia, how did your Absinthe get started? That's a great question. And it goes all the way back to 1996 when I was at a San Francisco Cacophony Society party. The party was called the Proust Wake. And in addition to poetry readings and a life-size cake in a coffin of Marcel Proust's body, there was this beautiful uh, crystal bowl filled with this green liquid, right? So back in 1996, absinthe had been illegal for, gosh, probably 85 years at this point. And I'd never come across it before. And to be honest, I was a little scared of it. I didn't quite know what it was. Everybody seems to have that way, right? Why are they so afraid of absinthe? Well, because there's been a hundred years of anti-absinthe propaganda. Yeah, but but you the, come across of it. You come across it. You're scared. But now, uh-huh. what happens? Um, I eventually get my nerve up and and go up and pour myself a glass, and it is delicious. And it ended up being just this sort of magical evening. I met a whole bunch of people who I'm still friends with today. And I decided that I had to make this stuff. One of the things that really drew me to it, I'd say the main component that really drew me to absinthe was my background in art history and photography. And going down the rabbit hole of art history related to absinthe was so fascinating that I had to find the recipe and and make it. I was told that recipe, that original recipe that I made was from a family in the French countryside. And unless they were using Everclear and food coloring and some weird wormwood and and anise tinctures from the mission, I kind of doubt it. But that's how I made my first bottles. They were neon green. (laughs) 
And so today I would never call that an absinthe, but that was as close as we could get in those days. We didn't really know what it was. The first night I served my first bootleg bottles of neon green absinthe, my friends started calling me Absinthia. And that's how the name got changed. And that's how the name got changed. That's right. And I just, I wanted to continue learning about it and making it more authentic and better uh, ingredients and to taste better. And so that started that process. Absinthia is now the legal name? It is. I love that. I I just, you embrace this so much and it made (laughs) such an impact on you. That you actually went out and changed your name. <laughs> yes, I, I occasionally refer to myself as a trademarked brand. <laughs> well, and I think you carry it well. But what I also hear is that you took responsibility to say, all right, this is the world of absinthe that we live in now. And you're going to be the change that this, this is going to, we're going to change the perception. We're going to change the experience of absinthe. And it sounds like those were the next steps. Yes. Absolutely. And so one of the first things I did was seek out organic ingredients because I quickly learned that everything that people had said about absinthe was not true, that it wouldn't make you hallucinate, that it wasn't toxic, that it didn't cause Van Gogh to cut off his ear. And I thought, well, if I can use certified organic ingredients in my absinthe, I can show people that it's high quality, that it's actually made with really good ingredients. What was it like in the beginning stages? I mean, you talk about sourcing organic organic ingredients, but what about, talk about the process of the neutral grain spirit mm-hmm. that, that, you know, you were looking to use as well? Yeah. So I was looking to use a very high quality and I found a uh, distiller who was making biodynamic Uh, grape-based alcohol. And so then I learned all about the difference between organic and biodynamic and the amazing farming, uh, I'd say rituals around biodynamic. Um, And it just, it just tastes, it not only was, was good quality, but it also tasted great. And so it resulted in an absinthe that doesn't need any sugar. And that I even have some customers who like to drink it neat. Well, that's why I'm one of those people that like to drink absinthe neat. And uh-huh. we just had an experience with Holy Ghost Distillery where they have their absinthe and we did the whole luge thing. And I love the visual of that. Yeah. But to me, and I know what that does now and how it changes the property of the absinthe, but to get the full character of all those ingredients, I think you try it straight and then maybe you back off. And how would you recommend people drink absinthe or learn to drink absinthe or enjoy absinthe besides the array of cocktail syrups and all the things that you do? What what's that? I mean, you said you went to this party, right? Yeah. And there was some absinthe on a table and you tried it. I'm sure there wasn't an absinthe fountain there and somebody kind of giving you direction. But how would you give if somebody's listening to this the first time and they've never had absinthe? What would be your way of just introducing them to that? And, 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 you know, once they try it, they're going to become big fans. Yeah, that's a great question. I would start with just uh, one part absinthe and between two to three parts of very cold water. Like I said, the absinthe doesn't need sugar. It's got this natural sweetness from the grapes. And um, the reason why I prefer it with water than neat is because the water really opens up those botanicals. The botanicals taste different once that louche is created. And I think it's delicious. And then as you get more and more used to the absinthe, I would suggest less and less water. Um, At this point, I will throw in an ice cube and a couple splashes of water and swirl it around until it starts to louche. And then I know it's good. Now, I have been told by other, we call ourselves absinthors, that ice is not traditional. Wait, wait, say that again. Say that again. Absinthors. Absinthors. Oh, cool. Yes. Yes. But what do you you have to do to become an absinthor? Uh fall in love with absinthe and get obsessed with it and, you know, constantly talk about it, drink it, maybe even make your own. <laughs> I am, we are going to, our next t-shirt is going to say, I'm an absinthe Thor. Oh, I want a t-shirt. Okay. You get, all right. You got, you, it's coming your way. All right, you know, so, those t-shirts that say like yoga and whiskey. And yeah. um, so I had a friend make me one that said, cause I practice Muay Thai. I had a friend that's made me one that said Muay Thai and absinthe. Nice. Yeah. Not yeah. in the same not at the same day, not, not at the same time. 
All right. So you were talking to your absent Thors and um, yes. talk about, you know, the conversations and, and that. Right. So they told me that I should not put on social media ice in the absinthe because, and I understand this, the ice does melt at a different rate and it will change the flavor of the louche and, and the ratios and all of that. And that it's not traditional. And I really thought about it. And I thought, I want people to enjoy absinthe the way they like to enjoy absinthe. Ice cubes, of course, they're not traditional. I, did they have big, round, or square, beautiful ice cubes back in the 1860s, 1870s? Of course not. They were chipping off blocks of ice. They were going outside and they were just bringing off pieces of ice off the, you know, the house, the icicles. Right, right. right. Yeah. So it's not traditional. And I think that's okay. The cocktails that we're creating today using absinthe, those don't go back to the 1800s either. So, you know, my suggestion is to try the absinthe with some water and then start experimenting with it. And I have on my website over 100 different absinthe cocktail recipes, all sorted by base alcohol. So it's really easy to see lots of different ways to do things with it. You talked about your introduction in 1996. Yeah. You talked about sourcing your ingredients. When did this become like a company for you and those early, those early processes? Yeah, that was challenging because my undergrad, I have a BFA from NYU in photography. So not exactly business skills. And in 2007, absinthe suddenly became legal, which is something I never expected in my lifetime. And I had already been making it for friends and family. And I had a marketing background by this point and really thought long and hard about launching an alcohol business as a woman in America. And it was, it was a little scary, but I decided that I really had to try. I wanted to do it. And it took me several years to figure out how to write my business plan. Uh, And then I went back to school and got my MBA and the business was officially launched in 2013. And it took a few years to get all the licensing in place, get myself up to speed as a business person. So the first sale of my absinthe launch was in September of 2017. Wow. So all the way back to 96 to 17. That's, that's right. one of the conversations that when we have with distillers or brewers, and you know, people think that you just, you know, open up and yesterday <laughs> you're 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 getting your keys to your building and tomorrow you're an overnight success with you know these right. huge everything right. going on, right? Right. Have you heard the expression every overnight success is decades in the making? Yes. And yeah. that's that's absentia. Yeah, absolutely. What were some of I mean, obviously you were making this for friends and family, and yeah. the reception of that for them was overwhelmingly positive. Mm-hmm. Was it I don't know if I, you know, was it part of also, hey, this is an education as to what absinthe is first, or, I'll, you know, you're making it, I'll try it, and uh, I'll, you know, let me see what it tastes like. I would say a little bit of both. Um, you know, I've been involved with the Burning Man community since 94, 95, and a lot of them are artists who absinthe is something that, you know, we we come across and it's around and it got to the point where people expected me to have it. And I find that even still when I serve parties with a lot of people, a lot of what we call burners there, they tend to know what it is. Right. When I go to um, maybe cocktail events or different events, you know, where I mean, I don't really want to call them muggles, but they're not burners. Right. They're not artists. Then there's a lot more of the oh, that's the stuff that makes you hallucinate. Oh, that's the stuff that made Van Gogh cut off his ear. And so there's a lot more education um, needed with people that are not part of um, a more alternative artistic community. I think this is a fun part of what you do with absinthe that you already come with a built-in set of misunderstandings because mm-hmm. there's a lore to that, right? There's, there's oh, yeah. a romance to that. And I think well, sometimes people get mad at me. They're like, don't tell me the truth about absinthe. I want to keep believing that this, you know, this wild story. And I'm like, I mean, that's up to you. That's fine. But education is really almost as important as making the product. What were some of those aha moments for you making what you're making and the growth of your business where you really felt, wow, I'm onto something. This is really something people are receiving. 
Um, I think one of those moments was just before the pandemic. The so I'm a member of the Women's Cocktail Collective, and we're all um, makers of booze, spirits, products, and woman-owned businesses. And we had a huge room at the Craft Cocktail Conference in where was it? The Presidio, and we all the women were in one room, and it was really powerful. And people kept coming by and tasting it. And I kept hearing, oh, I actually like it. And so that made me realize, you know, the first few absences that came out, not all of them, but a lot of them were just gimmicks, right? They were green liquids that may or may not have been true absence. And they were really bitter and really harsh. And I really feel that an absinthe that needs a lot of sugar to taste good is not a well-crafted absinthe. And so, you know, in addition to the education, a big piece of that is letting people understand that absinthe actually tastes good and not that bitter, dark licorice stuff that needs a lot of sugar to taste any good. I think what can be hard about absinthe is like if you make a Sazerac, right? You're really mm-hmm. doing a wash to the glass. Right. It's not, it's not the component of the cocktail in a way. And there's a mindset, I think, for some people to say it's, it's more of an enhancement. It's not the cocktail. And I think you're helping to change that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm constantly looking for more absent forward cocktail recipes because you're right. It is used as um, a glass rinse or a spritz or as a bitter, like, you know, add, add a dash or four dashes of absinthe. You belong to the Women's Cocktail Collective. And right. It sounds to me like there's that part of a, a, a pride of being part of a movement in a way where you're not just bringing absinthe to the forefront as, as a woman business owner and a woman spirits business owner, you're also in the forefront of that too. Is, 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 That's is, right. is that, is, 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 I get that from you. Does that, does that something that you kind of see oh, yourself? A hundred, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. One of the reasons why I got my MBA was really so that people would take me seriously. I mean, I needed the education. I didn't have any, you know, real business ex- running a business experience, um, but people weren't taking me seriously. I had a GM at a hotel in San Francisco say to me, oh, you started a business. Like, I felt like he was going to pat me on the head, you know? And I now, you know, like an Esquire, I I include MBA after my name on everything. And it really has changed the way people look at me. And yeah, you know, I'm a certified woman-owned business and there's not many of us doing alcohol. And I think it's great. I think it's exciting. I think it comes through at least our interaction at, Bar Convent. I mean, there's a sense of desire to educate, a desire to share on your part of what you're making, and this huge amount of confidence that you've spent all these years educating yourself about this one spirit. And mm-hmm. you know, probably there's probably so much history that you know about absinthe that you can impart that even those who believe they're aficionados may not know. Yeah. And I have done tasting events where I will start the story back in the 1800s. And as we're tasting, I will chronologically go along and tell the entire story of absinthe. I'm, I'm, I want to go to that tasting now. Where's the next, <laughs> where's the next tasting? I, I think there's such look, and I think this is what really, I felt that from you when we came up to your booth, that there was, there was this history and romance and, you can go to a lot of different spirits, but there's something about this absinthe and the way you present it and the way you discuss it. it it's truly powerful and I think magical. I mean, it's such a complex history with absinthe. You know, it's 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 a story that in some ways is similar with cannabis and hemp and the newspaper industry with the the absinthe and the wine and the and the French government and church and, you know, all of that. I mean, it's, it's, there's, it's so complex. And then of course there's the anti-absent propaganda and all the wild stories and the, um, the murders in Switzerland in 1905. And I mean, it's just, it's just such a rich history. What do you think if you wanted to encapsulate, and that's a lot of history, if there was one thing that you would say that would stand out that you wanted to share a piece of that history, what would you want somebody to know? Oh, have to pick just one. 
Oh, one for now. Maybe one later on as we. Yeah, you know what? I, I mentioned those, uh, the uh, Jean, what is his name? Jean Le, 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 Le Franc, something like that. Um, the man who drank absinthe and killed his pregnant wife and daughter. This is con- this is uh, in conjunction with the absinthe murders. Yes. 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 So the truth is that he was a raging alcoholic and he had had many, many bottles of wine that day. Brandy. He'd had one glass of absinthe and someone got to him and said, we want you to blame the absinthe on the reason why you murdered your family. And so. Absinthe is really, it's not this demon drink that everyone thinks it is. It's just a victim of uh, anti-competition from the French wine industry. That's fascinating. That, that's like, I feel like we got a scoop here that I didn't know. And, and that's exciting because the more you learn, the more you appreciate. I think absinthe is one of those things that, you know, as you become more understanding of, it's not what's just in the bottle. There's so much attached to the, the, the liquid and the distilled spirit. It, it heightens the, and I, I'm going to keep saying it, it heightens the romance of, of, of what you're drinking. Yes. Yes. And I love that I get to, you know, really talk about my product in, with this historical aspect rather than just, you know, I make this product and it's different than the others, but it tastes good. And here are some cocktails you can use it in. There's just, there's just so much more than, like you said, what's in the bottle and, and what you can do with it. But then again, I have over a hundred different absent cocktail recipes on my website. I was really inspired in, I think it was 2009 when the wine spectator released an article about the newly legal absent saying Americans don't have the taste palette for the louche. Americans will come to absent through the cocktail. And I think there's, I think that's mostly right. I think a lot of Americans actually do really like the louche, but the cocktails, that's when I started collecting the cocktails. And there's just so many different ways you can use absinthe in a drink. Let me say this about cocktails. And when you go to your website, you can sign up for your newsletter. And Mm -hmm. if you do, you're going to get a great email with cocktail recipes, cocktail ideas, new items coming out. You've got the syrups, uh, the cocktail syrups, which we'll talk about. Mm-hmm. I think you put out, you know, we get a lot of different emails, but I think you put out a great informative email. Very interesting. And there are so many cocktails that you've already sent out that uh, I'm, I'm excited to try to make. Good. That's good. I'm glad to hear that because it's, yeah. a, it's a lot of effort. Yeah. And, and what I can say is, like I said, there are a lot of emails that we get, but yours is a very interesting, very informative and, and I'm going to say enticing because these, these great cocktail recipes, I don't think there's some of them I've ever seen before. Have you seen the uh, absent cocktail for your sun sign blog that, yeah, article that, the, that we recently that released? Zodiac, uh, the July. Yeah. yeah, you just released that. Was it yesterday? I think. Uh, yeah, we sent out cancers and then uh, what is what is next? Cancer Leo, I think, is don't is ask me about the starting. Zodiac. Yeah, I yeah. do not know. <laughs> so so if you're if you're a Leo and your birthday is coming up, we've got the uh, the cocktail for you on the blog. I, I have to go back. It was and find so the fun to put that together. <laughs> <laughs> is there a Pisces uh, absent cocktail? I got to look and find that. Absolutely, of course there right. is. We've it's, got it's one a little for fishy, everybody. I hear. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What I'd like to do is this: when we come back, I want to uh, we'll go we'll start to taste through some of the expressions that you provided us, and uh, we'll talk about the expressions and and your you know approach to what you would like as a flavor for that. Okay. Sure. Brewskits. Beer, grain, dog, bones, brewskits. Your dog will go wild. Brewskits. Beer, grain, dog, bones, a healthy alternative for your pup. Brewskits are all natural and made in the USA. Visit brewskit.com. That's B-R-E-W-S-C-U-I-T.com. You have an amazing array of just bottles here. Are these these are the three expressions, right? Yes, they are. The vert which is what people think of as the absinthe, the green absinthe and the blanche. The blanche is really is as a cool history because it's how the absinthe comes out of the still clear. And later we add herbs to it to color it green, but the blanche comes out of the still clear. And during the ban, people would not color their absinthe green because if it was just a clear liquid in a bottle, nobody knew what it was. Ah, that's and they could get away with it. Great idea. 
Which one should we start with first? Let's start with the blanche. That was my first product. Okay. And again, it is the absence straight out of the still. So we macerate the herbs, soak it in the, the great neutral grape spirit, and then distill it and bottle it. Talk about your artwork on the bottle. And I love yeah. these long, thin bottles. We talked off before we started to record, and I, I, I love the label and the font and the bottle. And the, I mean, everything is just very attractive to, you know, just set, I, I think, separate what you see on the shelf too. Thank you. Thank you. That label took 23 months to get approved by the TTB. We submitted the label. They rejected it. We redesigned two or three times. They rejected all of those. I hired a different attorney who lives in Washington, D.C., down the street. We resubmitted the first one. They rejected it. He got busy with another client and didn't get the changes made in time and just resubmitted it. And they said, yes. What were so some the of the same label? We don't even know. You don't even know. I, I thought it was. Part, right? I thought it was because it was called Absinthia and it was too close to the product name. Um, but then the third time we submitted it, 23 months later, it was approved. So I have no idea. But the um, label itself, the, the image on it, of course, is Wormwood. And I didn't want to do a expensive 750 milliliter bottle of absinthe, right? It, like we talked about, oftentimes absinthe is a rinse or a few drops or a dash. And I just didn't think that people really were into spending that much money for a huge bottle, right? When they can spend half the price, get half the bottle and, you know, actually feel like they can, they're going to use it. And I think that it's important that with this, you can, I think bottle size can be a detractor or mm -hmm. it can be something that interests people too. Right. Even if the, I, even if this spirit is, you know, wonderful, a big bottle might just still detract people. Whereas a smaller bottle becomes more approachable. Exactly. And I didn't want the bottles to be little short, stout. I wanted a diminutive. I wanted them to be noticed. I wanted them to still be as tall as everything else. Just because it was a half size bottle, I don't think it should be this little short, unnoticeable thing on the shelf. So it's got some, it's got some presence on the shelf. I'm just enjoying the nose on this. And it's kind <laughs> of taking me back to when we first met you and got a chance to experience this for the first time. What was the bar Condon experience for you? How did that whole convention, you know, what was your experience? Oh, it was absolutely amazing. Um, first of all, I'm so happy that we're having events again. Um, if I could really run my business in a way that I would be happiest, that's all I would do. Podcast interviews like this and events in, in real life is, is my happy place. So it was great. I met in person a lot of people that I had met over the last couple of years via Zoom. I met my publicist in person for the oh, first time. Wow. <laughs> oh, that's what you look like in person. Wow. Well, we'd seen each other on Zoom so many times. We both were like, it doesn't seem like this is our first time meeting. Um, and then, of course, you know, I, I, I ran into a whole bunch of people. And um, I actually grew up outside of New York City. So to be in Brooklyn for the week was so much fun. And to see how much that area has really changed and to get to know Industry City and that cool, cool space that they built out of that former port. Um, and then to get invited to go to Bar Convent Berlin in the fall. No, so you're going? I am going. Well, do you need any chaperones, anybody to hold bottles? and? I do. Boxes? You want to come? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> wow. I mean, and I heard I, it's a three-day event, or and I heard it's just an extravaganza. Yeah, I hear it's much, much bigger than Bar Convent Brooklyn, which is a little intimidating. I'm but in the, uh, I'll be in the Emerging Brands booth again, which is nice because... I don't really want to spend all my dollars on a huge booth. I want to spend my dollars on 
on inventory and, and improving my products. And so I've got this nice little booth that I don't need to do a lot of decorating for. And, you know, we really stand out with that emerging brand logo above us. And then, you know, those pretty shelves where I put on my bottles, which is what you were talking about earlier. Yeah, your booth was really attractive. And it, like, I don't think either as, as somebody that was going through the event, I couldn't tell what an expensive booth versus what an inexpensive booth is, especially the way you presented it. It was more about the spirits and about meeting you and your personality than it was about, you know, trying to do this overblown um, visual effect, which I, I think is nice, too. But to your point, when people see you and the spirits and, uh, you know, learning more about absence, I just wonder from be, being behind where you were, what were some of your experiences when people, oh, absinthe, what, what do they say? Or what were some of their tasting experiences? Um, it, I, you know, there's always a whole range, even in an event like Bar Convent Brooklyn, where it's all industry people, you get a lot of, oh, I love absinthe. I want to try yours to I'm terrified of it. Am I going to like it? I love that. So, you know, you never know people, people's experience, people are still, even though it's been, oh my gosh, what, 15 years now that absence been legal, there's still so many people who don't understand it, haven't tried it, don't know what to do with it, might be a little afraid of it. I and, am. And I want to, I want to overcome that with them. I want, I want them to taste it and like it and enjoy it and understand the truth about it. I am enjoying, as you're speaking about all this and, and your experience, I'm enjoying the nose on this. And this is 110 proof. Yes. Yes. It does not even nose anywhere near 110 proof, which is really surprising. I would have almost put it down in the 80s range. Do people say that about that? Or is there a, a mindset to where you were going with the proof versus where it was going to come off on the nose? You know, the 110 proof is actually low for an absinthe. Most of them are in the high 60s. And I really chose that because... It's, it was where it tasted right. It was where it loosed right. It was, it was just the right feel for me. And I don't particularly like very hot alcohols myself. And I wanted to make something that, you know, that Americans would drink. And I, and I thought keeping it a little bit lower would be good. And yeah, hopefully it's well-balanced and crafted so that it's, it's drinkable despite the fact that it's 110 proof. It's super drinkable. What I get on the nose is you get that licorice experience because I think that's the best way to put it. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not, it, 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 but it dissipates in a way where you get the herbaceousness of the botanicals and what you're putting into that. Are you able to speak to some of the other botanicals and, and some of the other sourced um, ingredients that you have in there? Of course. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I do. I do have issues with describing it as licorice. Everybody does. That's why that. I know. I, I, I was, I was hesitant <laughs> to go there, but when you, when you, when the podcast, I, I think when people associate with absinthe, what's they the all best? say licorice. Yeah, they all say licorice. All right, right. So and you so, teach me what. what yes, and so I what I tell what I tell people is when you say licorice, you're probably thinking of like a really strong Mike and Ike's candy from when you were a kid. I like to say to people, think more of a fresh fennel salad. Okay. I love, I'm, this tastes like a fresh fennel. It, it really does. Because when you get into the other herbs, I like that approach better. This is such an amazing, I'm, I'm so much smarter talking to you now. <laughs> so really the absinthe is made with the, uh, I'll give you the definition actually of what absinthe is. The absinthe must be a distilled spirit and it has to contain what we call the trinity of herbs, anise, wormwood, and fennel. It can't have sugar or artificial colors or anything floating in it. So if you see, and I have seen bright neon green absence with herbs floating in it, we call that either a faux synth or a crap synth. Ooh, that sounds negative. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't sound so, like something that gives is endearing to them, is it? <laughs> no, no, not so much. Um, and so this is this is a true absinthe. And, you know, I will address that people are like, but it's American. It can't be. Yes, it can. The only difference between American and, and European absinthe is that American is 10 parts per million of Thujones Jones allowed in the bottle and European is 35 parts per million. Now, I've done math 
and 10 parts per million and 35 parts per million is sort of two ways of saying the same thing, which is nothing. Because once you distill the wormwood, there's no more through Jones. The toxins are gone. The So we use wormwood, phenyl, and a little bit of coriander in that blanche that you're drinking. That's what gives that, that's the flavor. That's, that's what it is. That brings it to a whole new stratosphere. It really is. And, and I added water to this and mm-hmm. I found what it gave me was more of um, uh, more of an earthiness, yeah. at least for me, more of a, I'm not going to say a woody component. I'm not going to say a barky component in a way, but you can, it's almost as if uh, you, you get those, you get the stems, you get the, not just the leaves, but you get the stems. If that makes any sense to what the, yeah. the, the my, my mind is saying as I taste this. Yeah. It's not just that, 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 that zing of that fennel salad flavor, but you get more of that component that kind of works its way through. Mm-hmm. Right. This right. is why I, rem- I, I like, I, I immediately said, wow, this is tremendous absence. And if, if you don't have all three bottles on your shelf at home or at a <laughs> bar near you, you're missing something. So I question to you is, so how do people find your bottles? How do people, you know, are they able to purchase? Can they all, can they purchase them right from your website? Yes. So the website shopabsynthia.com ships to about 45 states at this point. And the only reason we can't shop to ship to those five states is because federal laws, not federal laws, sorry, state laws. Each state is a little bit different. Is Pennsylvania and one of those five states? No, I don't okay. think so. Good. So I believe in Pennsylvania, right, we can get more. Yeah, you can get more. And if you do buy one of each bottles, the shipping is free. So three wow. bottles ship free. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. That's good to know. That's a nice gift, especially with shipping costs the way they are. Right. Are we, are, should we move to which one? The barrel, uh, the barrel aged. Let's okay. do the barrel aged. Which is in my hands now. This is the one that you shared with me. And um, I, I said, th- I couldn't believe that this was absent. I, I just, it, it, it became a whole different spirit to me. Well, so what I wanted to do was create a barrel aged flavor, but still have it taste as like absinthe. So I didn't want to put it in the barrels for too long. I didn't want it to taste just like any age alcohol. Uh, So it should be what I think is a nice mix of absinthe and a little char, a little of that, that oaky taste. And I've been drinking this. Yeah. It was unlike anything that I've ever had in the absinthe world. It just blew me away. Yeah. This is what you made. So how, you know, talk about your barrels and the process. How long does it stay in the barrel? How big are your barrels? Yeah. So the first, this was the first batch. We only did 30 gallons and we put it in an American oak barrel that had been sitting in neutral for a year. We left it in for about four or five months and just kept tasting it every once in a while. And what it really is, it's just the blanche, 30 gallons of the blanche put into that oak barrel. One of the things that as the barrel plays with the absinthe, you start to pull out the the vanillins. It becomes a little bit, it becomes a little more balanced and you get that, oak. you know, it's not overly oaked, but you get that oak quality that really, who would have thought that barrel aging absinthe would have been a thing and, and it would have come out so spectacularly? Well, I'm going to put out a little little note to the universe right now and just say there is a company in Kentucky, Peerless, that is making an a rye that's been rested in absinthe barrels. Wow. And my current batch is in rye barrels, absinthe and rye barrels. So we're doing the exact opposite. And if anyone is listening from Peerless, they only have the bottles available at their distillery. I don't have any plans to get to Kentucky anytime soon. So I would love to do a trade. <laughs> I really want to try that, that absinthe age uh, rye. And I really want to hear about and try your absinthe in the rye barrels. Yes. I'm actually, once I get back next week, I'm at tales of the cocktail in new Orleans. And then I'm going to, when I get back, I'm going to do my first tasting of those, of those barrels. But the one that you're drinking I have been enjoying in place of gin and a Negroni. I could see that. It is I could so good. That. And, you know, you would think that an absinthe and a Negroni would just be overpowering because it's equal parts, absinthe, vermouth, and Campari. 
but it really works. And it doesn't work with a Verit and it doesn't work with a Blanche, it, but it really works with that barrel aged. That's what I think is so wonderful about and, and the way you approach cocktails, because you give people ideas that they might not have or, or have thought, I, I can't see this working. Why would he even, why would I spend and pay and put this in a bottle or a glass or a shaker or whatever, when I just can't conceptualize this working as a cocktail? Right. Right. But this, I could see this as an, it's, it's, it's going to be absinthe month all year here. At our house. <laughs> We're just going to keep making all these wonderful absinthe cocktails. I, I love, again, the vanilla on the nose that plays with that. Again, I'm going to say fennel salad because I've been uh-huh. corrected. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, licorice. Licorice is a completely different plant. Licorice is not used in absinthe, but it's what, I don't know, outside of America, I'll just so it's what Americans associate with that flavor. I almost didn't put any water into this. Now, we have a number of bottles that you shared with us about your syrups, your cocktail syrups. Right. Now talk a little bit about those and what your desire is with them. I I know that there was one called fairy dust, which I'm very curious about. What's fairy dust? (laughs) Fairy dust is so explainable, explainable. (laughs) I've been drinking absolutely explainable. Um, uh-huh. I mean, Kate's five o'clock somewhere. You know, I, I get that. I, it sounds like it's going to be hot, but fairy dust, what's going to happen with this? So I'll give a quick background on the syrups. While I was, you know, getting everything together over those, those years before the absinthe was launched, uh, my friend Jared Hirsch is a mixologist in the Bay Area, and he had made caged heat, and his customers all wanted to take it home just became absolutely obsessed with it. It's a it's a simple syrup with tamarind, cardamom, and ghost pepper. And it makes an incredible spicy bourbon sour, spicy margarita, spicy whatever you want to do with it. Um, and so we launched that business together. And a couple of years later, we had the three other flavors. And so Fairy Dust was one of those three. Jared actually went back to bartending full-time. He's now in San Francisco at Catonia and Quince. And I, we closed down that business and I brought the syrups into the Absinthia business. And so now those all, all those four syrups are within my business. And the fairy dust we created because you'd be surprised how many people over the years, hey, Absinthia, I love absinthe, but I don't drink alcohol. Or I'm pregnant or, you know, dry January or whatever it is. And so there was really nothing that I could offer them. And so I created fairy dust as a way to enjoy the flavor of absinthe without the alcohol. Now, what would you, you know, given that, what would you, or how would you use this as a cocktail? I know that on your label, which is great, you say how to make a fairy dust, pour one ounce of of syrup, I guess a simple syrup, two mm-hmm. ounces of gin, which I guess you could leave out. And then the lemon, you can add a lemon. So what would be right. that, um, would that be the part of the cocktail or what would be a, a non-alcoholic cocktail that you would want to see that you could make? The soda water. Okay. Fairy dust and some lemon. And it's delicious. The cocktail flavors that you included here are caged heat syrup, fairy dust syrup, which we just talked about, cherry bomb and crimson smoke. And I'm I'm all about all things smoke, so I can't wait to to dive into that. That crimson smoke is so good with mezcal or scotch. All right, that's that's easy. I, I can do yeah. that. That's yeah. very good. Right. Where do you see, or what would you like to do with the syrups? Are there more in the works, um, or, or bigger bottles? Um, you know, how do you how do you see that continuing and moving forward? What's your plan for that? Right. So what you have is the sample pack, the little two ounce bottles of each flavor, which I'm running, I'm working through my inventory. And then you have the old packaging with the old business name that Jared and I ran. So once all that inventory is cleared out, we're going to redesign that, that box. Um, I don't have plans at this point for new flavors. We do offer uh, 15 ounce bottles through our distributors and on our, on our website. And the syrup is so easy because it's not alcoholic. So we can ship anywhere. We, you know, we, we don't need specific distribution in certain states like we do with the absinthe. Um, and then for certain customers, we have big pouches. So restaurants can order big pouches of them and, and pre-batch their drinks. This is true. And again, like you said, with 
somebody that goes out and might be enjoying a cocktail could be cra- uh, could be pregnant. We know goes out with people that might be enjoying cocktails. They might not be drinking, just not their choice. But you can now create opportunities to do those non-alcoholic cocktails. You provide a great syrup for them to do that. And that was accidental. We did not start out <laughs> to create ingredients for mocktails. When we started mocktails, like there wasn't even in 2015, 2016, nobody was talking about mocktails. And then all of a sudden it just blew up. And it was interesting to see what people were doing during the pandemic. The first year they were making cocktails, 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 cocktails. Everybody was drinking. The second year, everybody wanted to stop drinking and clean out a little bit. And our mocktail ads online started outperforming our cocktail ads which I found very interesting. So we changed our labels to the labels on the 15 ounce bottles say, you know, for the caged heat, it says uh, tequila or soda water. And in the beginning, we just said, you know, we just said bourbon or tequila or whatever recipe we felt like putting on the label. But now we have to include soda water because so many people love them for making non-alcoholic drinks. So you talked about, all right, pandemic, a lot of people are going into the alcohol direction second year, people want to kind of ease off. Where are you seeing now consumption? Because you're you're a very strong um, financial experiment or analysis of where we are in the spirits world. If, if this is what's happening, where are you mm-hmm. seeing that? You know, is it is it towards that those syrups? Is it more going back to spirits? It is actually more, I'm really focused more on wholesale right now and getting more distribution and getting more exposure to bartenders and, uh, you know, on-premise and off-premise location because people are less interested right now in making drinks at home and more interested in going out. They want to get back into the world. They want to have someone else make that drink for them. I know. I think for a while, but I think one of the things I see is I'm still interested in seeing other people make cocktails, whether they're at home or bartenders. Mm -hmm. I like to recreate them, but I'd also like to find other ways. You know, if if I go into a bar, can you make this? Do you have the ingredients to make this, even if it's not on the menu? And I think that's that's the other part of where we go. I've been making all these cocktails at home but I want to see somebody else make it for me now. <laughs> so that's interesting. That's, do you think then that people are more knowledgeable about cocktail making since they've had the last couple of years? To yeah, do I think home? so. I think so. And, and that's I think cool. that that's where those bartenders that have really stood out and are, you know, super bartenders or, you know, these celebrity bartenders and, and the like will even be elevated to another plane because right. this is what, we want to see now that yes, I've been making my own cocktails and you know, I, I can smoke my own old fashions now. I, you know, I, I didn't know how I was going to do that prior to the pandemic. I was going to start burning my, my floorboards because I didn't know where the wood was coming from or whatever. You know, and then you learn, you buy the kit or you, you, you know, you find your way around, but then sure. you find all these great, but like I said, you find all these great syrups, these great mixers, these, these great ingredients that, you know, you learn how to make a simple syrup. You learn how to make a tincture. You learn how to make a bitter. You learn how to make a, right. a shrub. And right. I think the the cocktail drinker, you know, in a lot of ways, is more educated and more knowledgeable that they want a more. I don't even think it has to be a sophisticated cocktail. I just think it has to be interesting. I think it has to be flavorful. And I, I, I think that's the that's from the consumer's perspective, the drinker perspective. <laughs> Yeah, no, I love that. I think that's really interesting. And from the brand owner's perspective, when customers say, I love this product, I've been using it at home. Hey, bartender, will you carry this and make this cocktail? That's how we get sales. When we are referred by customers at the bar, it's, it, you know, they come searching for us. So we love it when you do that. So when you go to the bar and let's say they do serve a Sazerac, you stop them and say, hey, if it's not Absinthia, I'm not going to buy the Sazerac anymore, right? <laughs> or I've made it at home with this brand, Absinthia. Okay. Would love it if you would carry it. Yeah. And I'm still yeah. not getting one until you do. So <laughs> really, you're you're not going to have the drink? I would. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I, I drove the exotic car. I'm, I'm not going back to my Prius now. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. We've got this Vert, right? Or Verte. Vert. Vert. Okay, good. 
I'm, yes. I'm just, yes. I'm just checking in. So with there, it's all, it's all French is, okay. is, is the, the, the recipes are Swiss. All right. Blanche. But the designation is, is French. All right. It Although I'm doing, I'm starting to, I'm starting to do more work in Mexico. So maybe it'll be Verde and Blanco soon. <laughs> Reposado. We, for we, the need you, we need to get you together with rebel spirits who are making their Avila. Um, and that's totally different too. And I'm, yeah, we'll create a cocktail. We'll see how that goes. With awesome. An absinthe. So yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. So what is the vert? So the vert is what people think of when they think of absinthe. It's green. And the reason why it's in that dark bottle is because after distillation, we soak it in herbs, strain it and bottle it. So the chlorophyll can change the color, the flavor. I've tested putting it in clear bottles and sitting it out on the on the deck and in the sun and it just gets rancid and turns colors real quick. So that dark bottle wall, as much as I would love to be able to show the beautiful color in the bottle on the shelf, it has to be in that dark bottle so that it will, it, it won't change. Yeah. There's this light, there's this light green, green, it's not green, but it's, it's also, it's almost like if lemon and lime came together, there's a, there's kind of like that (laughs) balance between the two. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and when we bottle it, it is actually more of a real peridot or emerald green and it gets a little bit more yellow as time goes on. All these expressions are so different. They're Mm -hmm. so unique in their own way. And that's look. I'm going to say it. And if I run out, I need to resupply my bottle. And if we do tastings for people, I want to make sure that they try all three of these. Because they're all a different experience. Yes. Just wonderful. The, the, the flavor to me, I get, I get more fruity out of this, even a little bit more minty in, in, in the flavor profile. Mm-hmm. Right. So one of the coloring herbs is a, a lemon verbena. So that's where you're picking that up. So, yeah, a lot of people don't tell what herbs they use for coloring. I'm happy to share because I want people to know and understand. Again, it goes back to that education. So the coloring herbs that we use are um, a different type of wormwood. It's a it's called uh, pontica, Artemisia pontica, where the, the wormwood in the, what we distill is uh, the grand wormwood, the Artemisia absinthium. And so Artemisia pontica and lemon verbena and um, anise hyssop, which is neither anise or hyssop. <laughs> it's totally different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is, so, I love the nose. I love the fruity juiciness on the nose. I love how that balances. And then you, you just get this flavor. This is delicious. This is now, are you enjoying it neat? Is that what oh, I'm I, seeing? Well, I just did added put some water. water. I just, okay. I, I did add a little water to both all three of them. The barrel age to me, when you add water, it does give that, that I think the oak comes out a little bit more. That's what my mm-hmm. experience was on that. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm just starting to get into adding water to this one. Right. And I love your idea that to me, I, 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 we may start some sort of um, a, a revolt through the podcast or through our words. I, I'd really like to, to get away with using ice on, and, and <laughs> I, you know, I, I think it makes sense. I really do. Yeah. So yeah. They're, Good. You know, Send the emails. I don't. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Now, again, I want people to enjoy the absinthe, and if ice is one of the ways they enjoy it, that's great. You know, I don't need to be that rigid. Like I'm trying to overcome all that all that anti-absinthe propaganda from over a hundred years ago. I don't really feel like I need to follow rules from a hundred years ago. I think that the conversation really is, and 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 I think we're having fun here. But I think the conversation is you're trying to structure a way to drink absinthe that was before that was in the past. Mm-hmm. And maybe when you're creating such wonderful spirits, this wonderful absinthe, that you treat it differently. That you don't take those old methods of drinking absinthe in a way where you're doing the fountain. And I think I think there's so, I think if you're sitting at a bar, I think there's something to doing the fountain because it's part of the show, right? It's part sure. of the experience. I think when it really comes down to what we're doing here, the experience is enjoying each individual absinthe on their own and the flavor and the smell and just a conversation over that neat or that little bit of water in there. 
with right, that right. And I think Americans sitting at a bar are much different than the French sitting at, a, at a, an outdoor cafe all afternoon. The bartenders and customers don't have the patience to watch water drip into a glass. I they just want to get they just want to get their cocktail. Well, this is I love all these and, and, and we're big fans and I, I don't mean to gush over it because I've, I've been, <laughs> I, I do. When you find somebody that's making just these wonderful, tremendous spirits that puts their heart and their soul and their passion into it, you know, that that's where I connect. That's really what resonates with me. What I mean, you talked about, you know, maybe doing more wholesale, getting into bars and more bartenders and and, and that side of things. Are there other absinthe? Uh, expressions in the works that you're you're talking about, or, or what? Some of the, are some of your ideas that are in your mind that you're working on? Yeah, I think so. There is one absent that I that I want to create, and I need the FDA to approve the use of butterfly pea flower in liquor on domestic products. They're only allowing it on imports. Um, so butterfly pea flower is it a teeny tiny bit turns the bottle the liquid blue, and then when you add citrus, it turns purple. So it won't affect the, the taste, but it's really fun. And it's really pretty. So that's in the works. And then my idea for the rest of my line is to create traditional spirits that use wormwood. Right. So my last name found out a couple of years after I was named Absinthia that my last name is German for wormwood. What? Get yeah. out of here. We wait yeah. all this time to get to that. <laughs> Get out of here. I mean, it just came up. Yeah. If you look inside um, Barnaby Conrad's The History of Absinthe, there's a page that has beautiful drawings of Wormwood. And then it says Wormuth at the bottom of it, which is the way my my great grandparents spelled their last name, pronounced their last name before they came to America. This is destiny. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> so my concept is to create a line of spirits that contain Wormwood. So uh, Vermouth's Amaro's. I want to do a gin with wormwood. So, you know, that's, that's the direction I want to go in. You know, I was thinking as, you know, just all the, all the ideas that you must still have in your head, the, all three of these, and I'll, I'll, again, I I haven't seen all 100 cocktail recipes on your site, but I think this would make a great bee's knees as well. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm just thinking how that. With the barrel aged. Yeah. Even, even the uh, vert. And the verts, yeah. Would would look even all of them would you 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 can make a, a honey simple syrup or um mm-hmm. but you find some good earthy um you know Brian um uh, with the world honey exchange, he has the smoky honey that Ooh. yeah, it's good. He'll he'll Ooh, I need at, to get uh, some of that. He'll yeah. be at Meadcon if you want to come out to Baltimore uh next month. But uh he they have this honey, so the smoke gets into the honey because you know, the, the beekeepers are spraying the smoke around, but that flavor gets infused in the honey. You take that. I, we have some. I'll make it. We'll see how it tastes. And uh, yeah, let me know. Absinthe pairs really well with gin. So gin is always a great cocktail go- to go to with the absinthe. The way I like to drink them and I would love, you know, your your feedback on this and what do you think? I really love the Blanche with just some cold water. I love the Vert in cocktails. And then the barrel age, you know, I'm still learning how to use it, but, but, you know, I think, I think a bee's knees is great. The Negroni is great. So. I, and, yeah. and, you know, then you can go to the little things like the old fashioned and just a, a splash and, you know, as, as that bitter component and, and maybe try it that way. There's so many things and you, you've got over a hundred recipes. So, you know, right. that's at least, you know, that's at least, uh, you know, two and a half years of cocktail making that uh, we'll, we'll be doing absinthe for. So. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything, Cynthia, that we haven't talked about on the podcast today that you want people to know? Anything you'd like to share that we haven't talked about? I think we pretty much covered it all. Um, you know, again, I love doing events. If people need someone to come out and bring some absinthe and, you know, speak to a room or, or do a corporate event or, you know, whatever it is, I, I love doing that. Um, if you want to come meet me, I will be at... In New Orleans, if you're in New Orleans, let me pull up that invite. Uh, next Wednesday, the 27th, I'll be at Loa Bar on Camp Street in New Orleans from 7 till 9 p.m. And then, um, yeah, I think after that, I'll be at uh, Bar Convent Berlin. You are definitely going to be a hit over in Berlin. 
just wait till they meet you and 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 try your absentia absence it's just well unfortunately i don't speak a word of german i speak a little french and spanish so we'll see how it goes <laughs> you don't need to have the language down you just pour and they drink you see the there smile you and that's really right. what brings everybody together there you go there you go absinthia this has been a treat thank you so much for your time today thanks for sharing what you do thanks for being a friend of fermented adventure wherever our travels take us again we can't wait to sit down and enjoy cocktails and, and and meet you again and talk about where you're going and what you've done up until that point, because I know there's going to be more history. You're going to learn about this absinthe. And I want to learn more about that too. Absolutely, Rich. This was great. And I'm so glad we met. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. You too.